when you grow something and you go through that process, that appreciation process of actually nurturing something and growing it, and then you taste it, and you're like, holy shit, that's, a, that's fantastic. Why doesn't it taste like that when I buy it from the store? Hey, my name is Billy Dack, and I'm a restaurateur obsessed with what it takes to create the most memorable meals ever. Having come up working almost every position in the business, I've seen how there are usually hundreds of details that need to be orchestrated perfectly to satisfy the highest of expectations among all those that food brings together. This mix in chemistry, or lack thereof, makes for mind-blowing storytelling about more than just what's on the plate. So in each episode, with a unique and unforgettable guest, we will discuss the power of food, the importance of coming together for meals, and unravel, explore, and discover a life-changing dining experience that has forever impacted lives. This is the Meal of Your Life Podcast. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks so much for joining in. Today is really great because we're coming at you from Bon Appetit's Chicago Gourmet. It's a world-class food and wine festival where not only do I serve uh, amazing food along with my chefs and teams from my different restaurants, but I've also been an MC for the last 10 years doing cooking demos with some of these fantastic talents, um, these chefs that not only are from Chicago, but from all over the country. And today, I will be bringing you an amazing interview that I had with Curtis Stone, celebrity chef Curtis Stone. You've known him from TV, his books. Uh, He's an amazing author. He's just this really big personality in the chef food world. But what you're going to find today is he also has a really big heart, a lot of great thoughts and advice. Uh, especially for those who want to move up in not only hospitality, but I think in business in general. Um, So check him out. Again, this is from this amazing festival. So you'll hear a little hustle bustle in the background. Um, I always like to bring you along with me. So I'm not trying to, you know, hide any of the elements. So you, you, you might hear some people in the background. It's a great wine and food festival and you're now at it. Enjoy. I feel like I'm in Florida. It's so hot. Dude. It's you're from Crazy. Australia. I know. You, this isn't hot for you. Come <laughs> I'm on, I'm from man. Melbourne. Oh, it's not hot? Yeah, no, it's not hot. See, over here, we always have this impression, Australia's on my bucket list, and yeah. I always think that it is always hot. Is. 90% and of the country is. Yeah? Just not, just not where you're just from. Not where I'm from. Just when you come I'm into places like, you come into the windy city where it's 20 below, and you're like, dang, it's hot here. <laughs> are you uh, Are you stuffed from, uh, I, I heard you judged last night, you did... Uh, 14 burgers. Yeah. And then Rick Bayless was so kind to invite me to um, Leonard Bravo. And he's like, you've got to come in. You know, you haven't been. And I was like, I'd love to. But we have the burger tasting. He said, don't worry, just have a little bite of each one. So 14 burgers later, I'm like, okay, I'm off for dinner. So we went and did a seven-course journey through the Yucatan. Um, And I woke up this morning just like actually starving. Really? It's so weird when you eat that that much. Your stomach must stretch or something and you just... I own restaurants too, and uh, we're pros, so we've been doing this our whole lives, right? Like, we just eat more than most people. Yeah. And you're in Chicago. It's a big, big shoulder kind of city. Yeah, for sure. How's it feel to be doing uh, Bon Appetit, uh, Chicago Gourmet here, um, and it being written up as the number one city in America for food? Right. I don't disagree. It's a great city. You know, there's amazing spots to eat. From The thing I love about Chicago, and this is where I think LA, I'm an LA native now, um, but I think we're headed in a similar direction. LA used to be a great city to eat. Ethnic food and Mexican right. food and like that sort of a, a, affordable um, was, was awesome there. But there wasn't much at the high end. Where here, you've got 
the Grand Atchets and the Curtis Duffies and like these two three-star Michelin restaurants scattered through the city. So you can eat incredible fine dining, you can eat great, um, you know, you're known for hot dogs and sandwiches and donuts yeah. and like, you know, stuff is just, yeah, and that's yeah. what's so cool about it. And you've just got some, frankly, incredible talent in the city, so I love it. What was your hometown or country uh, like for you growing up, as far as meal experiences are concerned? Yeah. What is the, it's what funny. Is the was, culinary culture like? I, I have no oh, idea. it's amazing. Now, it's amazing. You know, 30 years ago when I was sort of starting my uh, world, my life in the culinary um, arts, not so much, you yeah, know, like yeah. the good chefs were European and they'd come from Europe to Australia. And we, I sort of grew up in a time where your parents cooked very British roast meats or grilled meats with, you know, three veg, kind of Midwestern yeah. in, in its uh, um, concept, I guess. But, um, you know, the, the most exciting restaurant was the local Chinese restaurant. There was, no, there was really very little cuisine yeah. in Melbourne. What um, were meal experiences like at home? Mum was a good cook. She was a good baker, actually, so that was fun. Um, she was a good cook, but, you know, she was very simple. She used to cook English-style food, yeah. which has had a bad rap for a century for good reason. Although they've gone through a total renaissance yeah. of food, too. You know, the interesting thing about Melbourne was all these European chefs came, and when I started my apprenticeship, you either went to Europe and learned how to cook, or you were never going to... You were going to work in a pub. You know, that was kind of the yeah. attitude. So I, like many, left and went to Europe and learned how to cook. You actually went to London. I mean, you went right. to... Yeah. And that's where you Yeah, no, I lived started. there for uh, 10 years. Um, but then what's happened now is a lot. enough of us did that, and now we've gone back with different exposure to different cuisines and technique, etc. And we happen to have one of the most beautiful countries in the world from a product perspective. We've got, you know, we're surrounded by ocean. We've got beautiful, untouched um, fisheries. We've got uh, a, a pretty good organic sort of attitude towards raising proteins and we make, you know, produce some of the best Wagyu beef in the world, stuff like that. And then of course, fruits and vegetables are, you know, pretty um, interesting. Over there. So it's almost like the talent went, got their skills elsewhere in the world, came back and is working with all these natural resources. Yeah. And you're really big on natural. I mean, your whole philosophy in cooking is working with uh, what God in the or, or earth uh, provides, right? It's, right. it's, it's not, um, it's, it's working with mother nature and working yep. seasonal and quite simple. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think if you, I'm also a gardener. So if you, you know, like if you know how to grow something, yeah, you want it to be, you, you know, you think you see it in its natural state and then you imagine what it's like when it's not organic or it's not, um, when it is grown with all this stuff that you yeah. wouldn't put on it for your own family. So you sort of, you just think about it a little differently. And I think when you, when you grow something and you go through that process, that appreciation process of actually nurturing something and growing it, and then you taste it, and you're like, holy shit, that's, a, that's fantastic. Why doesn't it taste like that when I buy it from the store? Um, what do you grow mostly? Vegetables, yeah, yeah vegetables, yeah. fruits. We've got some fruit trees, yeah. but um, yeah, it's more of an experimental. I mean, I have a restaurant that has um, one ingredient at the center of a 12 course menu. So, is this the one in uh, Beverly Hills? In Beverly Hills, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we change it each month. And the, you know, the, the interesting part of doing that um, restaurant is we're constantly having to evolve. You know, so if peas are your ingredient, What's the name again, it's Maud. Yeah. Maud, yeah. Oh, I got it. You did. Yeah, I've heard. Nice, bro. I got it. Congrats. I love it. 
It was my granny's name. Oh, nice. Um, you know, when you when you when peas are your ingredient, then you want to grow as many varieties as you can to yeah. give you as much flexibility as you can have in the yeah. menu. You right. Know? So, um, and even that is fascinating because you think of peas and you think of one thing, but actually there's 36 commercially available peas and 120 that aren't commercially available. You know, tomatoes. There's 200 varieties of heirloom tomatoes out there. So what? As you start to sort of understand more about ingredients. Um, then you sort of think, why are we so pigeonholed? And it's just, it's only, it's just access. If there's 200 types of tomatoes in store, we'd all be cooking crazy different stuff, but there's not, so we don't, you know. I'm a restaurateur as well, and I, I find the model of Maud uh, really interesting. It's one, mm. it all inspired by one ingredient per month, is it? Or That's right, yeah. Yeah, and then everything revolves around that, obviously a seasonal piece, and it's coursed out. Yep. And you just, are you part of that 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 menu creation? Yeah. Uh, or do you have some Yeah, we're, we're four years in. Um, so, you, you know, you can do the math. It's 54, 52 uh, different menus we've done. Name them in all. four years. No, <laughs> name every ingredient. <laughs> you know what's interesting? We just, we're, we just did a best hits, a greatest hits mm-hmm. menu. And we looked through all these dishes and we were looking at photographs of dishes that we'd done only a couple of years ago with no recollection of it. We're like, what was that? What's that puree? And we had to like literally go back to the recipes and look it up because you move so fast that um, it's a collaborative effort to answer your question. You know, I've got Justin Hilbert, who's a fantastic chef down there um, and uh, and a great team. And we sit down and we talk about it. And we have the month, you know, right now we're doing melon. So you have the entire melon menu to chat to each other while you doing your prep about what's coming next and how you're going to do it next and um, yeah we come up with some wacky ideas a lot of them don't work but some of them do and we keep those ones around that's so funny how uh, how do you uh, balance everything that you're doing I mean you're doing you've got the restaurant uh, you're probably consulting here and there you have cookbooks you have the filming by the way filming wise um, I've been doing the Today Show for the last four years, and uh, Kathy Lee and Hoda just this last year did their two favorite uh, episodes of the year, and it was mine and yours. Is that right? Yeah, That's yours cool. because you were a very fun talent. I'm sure they were, you know, loving, <laughs> and me because it was really, I just do funny segments. I think they laugh yeah. with me most of the time, but maybe a little bit at, but uh, it was a really fun segment. So I saw, I saw your segment when they put the two together, but um, how do you balance That's those te- TV segments and all that stuff? Look, I've done less. Since the restaurant, I've only opened the restaurants, Maud opened four years ago. I haven't written a book in four years. <laughs> I've done a lot less television. You know, I've had to sort of Why do you think back. that is? You just don't have the time. You know, I think if you're, if you're involved in your restaurants, and that's what I really wanted to be, you know, like in some ways it's why I did Maud the way I did it because there's no way to walk away from it. I can't go away for two months and come back and yeah. expect the restaurant still to be operating. And I think that laziness, it's not laziness, but that like, um, it's very easy to deal with other things apart from the creation, right? Apart from driving yourself to create new dishes. And I think if you walk into most restaurants and say, how long has that been on the menu? How long has that been on the menu? Most chefs would answer by saying, yeah, I'm gonna change it. Or yeah, no, that's been, I'm I'm getting to it or I wanna change it. It's very easy to do that, right? But when you have a hard deadline that is I've sold the tickets to next month's menu, and yeah. it's it's yeah. basil. So I need a ba- I can't serve melons. I got to serve basil. Um, 
you know, so you, you, you have a gun to your head. So you, it's like forced creativity, right. which I like because, you know, we look back on it now if only four years in and you're like, holy shit, we have these binders of, um, you know, this crazy content that was created. It's cool. And do you see any, so it sounds like you're focusing in chapters. Do you think there's a, a you're going to start doing more TV? Are you doing something with the Chew now or are you doing? No, I'm, I did um, I did a thing with PBS called A Movable Feast, which is a show I shared with a guy named Pete Evans. Um, and we did, you know, a handful of episodes each. And I sort of did the ones more um, cl- closer to where I am. He, he did Europe this year, Lucky Bugger. And I did, uh, I did also beautiful spots, but Carmel by, by the Sea and San Luis Obispo and places that I could either drive to or jump on a quick plane. So I'll do stuff that's like this, you know, like I'm up here in Chicago for um, two days, but that's it. It's two days, then I'm back to the grind in, in the restaurant. In the restaurant. When you have the restaurant, Besides just what's on the plate, what makes the perfect meal experience? Look, I think the food's, the food's a part of it, you know, of course it is, you know, and it's a really important part. But I think there's so much more to consider. Like if, if I say to you, when, what was the best meal of your life? The that's, first thing you'll do is say, that's an impossible question. By the way, that's the question I'm going to ask you oh, next. Yes. The, the meal of your life. Well, but, it's, go, but, but, it's but what are the a fascinating components? thing to ask because it's the conversation it's the joy around the table it's like really the food the service the this flatware that the restaurateur chooses the stemware the wine that gets poured it's all just a conduit to the conversation and that like happiness that you find around that dinner table so i think when you ask most people that question they think of something their granny cooked or a time that their mum was in the kitchen and or around a holiday, whether it's a Thanksgiving or a Christmas or whatever it is. And you, the, the night you asked your girlfriend to marry you, you know, like all those sort of moments that mean so much. And then if you go, all right, well, what did you eat? You kind of like, um, you know, I can't remember. I know it was good, but you know, that wasn't as important as what it created. So, you know, it's... Um, That's why people have... I've enjoyed this podcast so much and it's been so fascinating is that it's called the meal of your life, but no one can ever tell me what the meal is. Right. They tell me about that moment where they lost a job or they had an epiphany or yeah. they tasted something that made them realize they love this, they don't like this. And now I have to ask you, what yeah. was the meal of your life? I, I do remember it. Actually. Oh, you do? Yeah. Well, I, I, was, I can tell because your face is lighting up. I was 20, <laughs> 22 or 23. I was dating a girl who's not my wife. I hope she doesn't listen to this, but that's not why it was a meal of my life. But um, I was I was with this this girl who we were dating, and we went to the south of France. And I was a broke cook, like I literally had a thousand pounds. I was working in the UK. Were you in school, in or you just started your first couple jobs? No, I was I was working. I was working okay. for Marco Pierre White, which is you know why I was a broke cook. We went to this place called Shadow Chevredor, and it was two-star Michelin restaurant. There's no way we could afford to eat there. We like I had a little bit of money left in my bank, maybe 150 bucks or 200 bucks pounds. Sorry, I, I think this might have even been before the euro. And I wanted to go and read the menu because I'd read about this restaurant online, and I was like, you know, let's just go. We'll sit down. We'll have a glass of champagne. I can read the menu and just be a chef nerd. Yeah. We got there, and this guy starts talking to us in French, and I was working in a French restaurant, so like my French was super scrappy but you know I could kind of get by and you know in the conversation I told him that I was working for Marco Pierre White so he says oh let me introduce you to the chef so we go and we meet the chef and you know it's all going very well and then the chef says 
please be my guest. I've got this table here. He walks us in and sits us down at the table for lunch. So I look at my girlfriend and I'm like, Perry, we cannot afford to pay this check. Like we don't have the money. And she's like, well, what are we, you know, what are we supposed to do? So we're in this complicated situation where like, He's invited, like he's offering us a table. I'm sure this restaurant's booked out months in advance. I'm somehow. sweating and just like, right? this is like the most This was the best meal of my life because the whole way through it, I was <laughs> shitting myself that I would not be able to pay the check. And I was like, how does this end, you know? But the food was just sublime and I'd like, we drank some. Did they charge you? They did and my credit card went through. Um, <laughs> We didn't, couldn't afford to do anything else in the south of France for the next four days, but that was all right. We had like this crazy expensive lunch, which was fabulous. And just this little restaurant juts out on the Côte d'Azur. Oh my God, it was amazing. What was on the plate? I remember a lamb dish that we had, and it was like an assiette of lamb. So there was like a little bit of braised shoulder and a little piece of loin that was cooked perfectly pink. And there was some kind of pureed potatoes in a little copper pan that came beside it, and another little copper pan with some sauce and a teaspoon. And it was sort of like this really um, thoughtful, some crispy lamb belly that was sort of, so there was like little elements and it was sort of a demonstration, this is 20 years ago, um, a demonstration of different pieces of the, uh, the animal, you know, treated differently. And then all these little bits and pieces that got served alongside it and the presentation was beautiful. And there's just something, and maybe it's because it was my first real white tablecloth, yeah. fancy ass, Michelin starred meal that you sort of got to sit back. We had to sip our glasses of champagne very slowly because we couldn't afford any more wine. Yeah. You know, we, but it yeah. was uh, it was one of those moments that you're like, oh my god, this is why I'm in. This is why I'm doing what yeah, I'm I was going to ask how that influenced you. Did that make you want to be? You know, I think a chef you, at that level, yeah. or just be able to give that kind of an emotional response. Right. Yeah. No. It's. I think as a chef, it's very easy to go through life, coming through the back door of one of these fancy restaurants, and we don't get paid a lot of money in our business, and you sort of you go through life never having the experience that you're creating, yeah. right? And this was the first time that it really happened to me. So, it actually made me really focused on doing that more often you know so I would then save and eat in these great restaurants and how did that never happen to me I might not have done it you know like I used to look at their menus and I used to uh, this was before we used to look at stuff online of course but you know so isn't it funny like yeah um, life took you on different turns back then where now you just sit behind a computer yeah. but um, actually going and seeking out that restaurant really did alter my entire career yeah. for sure and the about your book, I want to ask just having a busy life. We're talking about how to balance all these things. Quick meals for a busy life. Mm -hmm. um, quick tips. Uh, I guess one of the reasons I'm asking is I'm a new uh, lifestyle contributing editor for Esquire and I'm very interested from a guy's perspective. What are some quick tips on killer meals yep. quickly for a busy life? So this is what I think is good to share with people. Chefs cheat, right? Because Chefs we have, cheat? We cheat. We have access to stuff in the yeah, restaurant. Yeah. So you bring home the sauce, or you bring home the curry paste, or, you know, the stuff yeah. that takes all the right. time, you just take it from work, so then you can like throw dinner together quickly. So how do you apply that, assuming you don't have a restaurant to go and steal things from? You have great pickles, you have good condiments, you know, you can have stuff that you can either buy from a high-end purveyor or make yourself when you've got time 
And then if you have that stuff, like a curry paste or something I make once every two months, mm-hmm. and I keep it in the fridge, and it's there, and it stays there. So whenever I come home, I'm like, oh God, all right, I've always got coconut milk. I've, there may be some chicken, and I've got a couple of veggies. I can make a quick chicken curry. Or I've got some delicious pickles and there's a bit of cheese in there. I'll just do a quick, simple cheese and charcuterie platter. So I think having little things that make your life easy, good capers, you know, stuff like that that you're like, you can make pasta with sun-dried tomato and capers and um, some chopped parsley, yeah. you know, like it, it can be that simple. How do beverages play into your game? What do you like to drink? What do you like to serve the most? I love wine. Yeah. You know, I... I um, I shouldn't. I should say that I drink a lot of cocktails because we have a couple of cocktail bars. But I don't really, you know. Like I'm, I'm a wine drinker. Yeah. I like beer as well. Um, but I think wine just works so well with food that it's Does that hard come to from Australia. How yeah. do you feel about Australian wine? Yeah, Australian wine's great. Uh, unfortunately, we produce a lot of mass market wine as well. Mm. So internationally, we've got a bit of a reputation for. I won't mention the names, but. You know, you can think of, you know, really affordable Australian yeah, wines yeah. and it's sort of in some ways coloured what people think of Australian wines. But we've got um, amazing little boutique producers that create some beautiful stuff. And from a personal perspective, how do you describe your your brand? God, I don't even think I've or got your one. style. But, you know, like... What's your style? Well, I think... I think... Not cooking style, just your you style. Are, filters through in every way of your life right like how you treat people is really important now if you treat your staff really well they'll treat you really well if you treat your staff like shit then they'll treat you the same way you know and I think um, you've got to be generous you've got to be kind um, and you've got to like have high standards and you if you have high standards you can drive yourself and you can drive your team to achieve those standards and they can appreciate it as opposed to be a tyrant. You know, I worked for tyrants in my day and in, in some sick kind name, of way. Name them all. I really, <laughs> well, I loved it actually. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Because experience. I love that passion. I love that drive. I kind of like the screaming too, bizarrely, but it's not necessarily appropriate for everyone or, or today but um, I do think you shouldn't apologize for your high standards and I think when you're around someone that has them and you can see that you appreciate it and it's a two-way street and that's how to hold yourself once you have a lot going on what kind of advice can you give to people who are aspiring to get close to so I I think a chef or being a TV personality too I I think it's you can say that for anyone because if you have a young kid that comes into your restaurant with no experience but he's got a stellar attitude and keeps himself super organized and clean, he'll get the job. So even without any experience, even if he's not the fastest guy with his knife or the fastest girl with their knife, if they just keep their clean, keep their head down, keep a great attitude, yes chef, no chef, whatever you need, you know, arrive for work a little bit early, that's what I call high standards, you know, and it can be that simple. And I think if if you have that, you impress anyone that you work with and then as you progress and as you gain more skills and as you get um, stronger in your abilities then you get um, you get more powerful and that's how it has to it has to be a slow process it can't be fast there's no trick my thanks to Curtis Stone. I told you, what an awesome guy. Uh, you can get to him on Twitter and Instagram with just his name, Curtis Stone. But also, I would suggest going to CurtisStone.com. He has so much going on that you will see everything right there in, in one place, and I highly advise it. He has uh, just 
a lot of great things to offer. Uh, thank you so much to Bon Appetit and Chicago Gourmet and also IMR for putting this all together and the Illinois Restaurant Association. All these great people putting these great, great, great experiences together with all these different elements like Curtis Stone. Next is uh, Carla Hall. Chef Carla Hall will be coming up in uh, one of the next interviews, also from uh, Bon Appetit Chicago Gourmet. So uh, thank you all for putting that together and thank you guys for listening so much. I appreciate it. Keep spreading the word on social media. Please tag me at Billy Deck, B-I-L-L-Y-D-E-C. I would love to hear from you. And if you can, please, please, please go to iTunes or Stitcher and please subscribe for free so that we can all not only be connected and you can hear all these great stories coming up, but also it tells those platforms to keep uh, putting it out there to more and more different people. Sharing is caring, y'all. So um, I really appreciate you so much. And until next week, thanks.